this is Solving Problems and Starting New Ones, a show that tries to be an incubator of great ideas and a place to challenge popular wisdom. And today, we're talking about our community with Chapter 1, and we're going to talk about depression. And you'll get all this from a guy in the street perspective. But before we begin, find us on Facebook, share the show, and leave a five-star review. Do it up. All right, all right, let's start off with our 2021 post-apocalypse update of 2021. Who is Michael Byrd? Michael Byrd works as a law enforcement officer in the good old U.S. of A. But Michael has deleted all pictures from his social media accounts and has been on paid leave in this law enforcement agency. Michael Byrd has name blurted out in a Senate hearing only to have CNN and C-SPAN omit his name from the transcript. A Google search for him will not find you the Michael Byrd I'm talking about. Michael Byrd did something wrong, and people are working awfully hard to cover for him. Try another search engine like DuckDuckGo, and the first thing you will see is what people are hiding. He is a lieutenant for the Capitol Police. He was working in the Capitol on January 6th, and on that day, Michael Byrd killed Ashley Babbitt. Ashley Babbitt was an Air Force vet and a rabid Trump supporter here in the good old U.S. of A. However, only a handful of years prior, she voted for the Obama-Biden ticket. Ashley Babbitt had her family business ruined by California's shutdown policies. She fell into extreme debt. Ashley Babbitt became angry towards the authoritarian government that was ruining her life. Ashley Babbitt was seen at the Capitol on January 6th. She climbed through a broken window that was next to a barricaded door to go further into the uh, congressional building. Michael Byrd then shot an unarmed Ashley Babbitt in the neck. George Floyd committed a crime. He should not have died. Ashley Babbitt committed a crime, and she should not have died. We know who Derek Chauvin is, but for the first time in modern history, we have not been officially told who killed this unarmed suspect in such a high-profile incident. People on the right feel they have a right to know who killed Ashley Babbitt. They feel justice is not being applied evenly. But eventually, his name will be released more widely, and they can hide it as best they can, and maybe they'll succeed, but if I know about him, I think everyone will know who Michael Byrd is. It's a troubling story and something to keep an eye on. Because if someone feels they deserve and takes revenge on Michael Byrd, I absolutely assure you, you will know the name of that person. And the dangerous game we're all playing continues to escalate. In other news, Michael Keaton is returning to play Batman, and I am so excited. This has been your 2021 post-apocalypse update of 2021. All right, all right, we're starting a new series about community, and what we're focusing on is how to keep it safe. This is Community Chapter 1, The Gun Show. For all you gun-loving Americans, I'm going to pull off the impossible. My goal is to create one gun law that you will support. It's actually pretty simple, and that is a 20-year prison sentence for anyone possessing a gun illegally. Maybe a second chance if it's your first offense ever. And that's pretty much it. So what would that do? It would eliminate almost all gun crimes. And studies show that whenever a violent crime such as murder or armed robbery is committed, Nine out of ten times, the perpetrators have a history of possessing an illegal firearm. That means if a gun gun law like this were passed, and career criminals are taken off the streets before they can commit community-destroying crimes, 
the outcome would be around 90% less violent crime, 90% less murder, armed robbery, rape, arson, among others. So that is my convincing argument to the Second Amendment-loving people. Now, if I, can give, if I can convince people on the red team, the blue team should go along with this as they are always pushing for gun laws and gun reform, right? So that's that, and we can move on to the next segment. Unfortunately, that's not the case. If a law like this were passed, the population of the prison system would grow, something they are fighting against. Yet the same group wants red flag laws. Isn't this the ultimate red flag? If you get caught with a gun on you illegally, was it because you were peacefully watching the Bible on TV in your own house? No, it's because you were up to no good. Why is there a refusal to incarcerate repeat violent felons who either illegally possess guns or commit violent crimes with guns? So let's look at some examples over a two-day period written up by Daniel Horowitz at the Conservative Review. 14-year-old Jupiter Paulson was skateboarding to her mother's house last Friday in what would be considered a safe part of Fargo, North Dakota, when she was suddenly and randomly attacked for 25 minutes. She was allegedly stabbed to death 25 times by 23-year-old Arthur Prince Cawley. The suspect claims to have been high on meth during the attack. To state the obvious, this wasn't Cawley's first brush with violent crime. According to court records, Cawley was on probation for a 2017 conviction for assault on a peace officer. Yet he violated his probation in one of the worst ways imaginable. He was arrested last December on the 18th for illegally possessing a firearm as a felon, discharging the firearm within city limits and possession of drugs. Now in a sane world of gun control, where politicians seem so concerned about target pistol braces of those engaged in sports and target practice, they would treat felony possession and discharge of a firearm during probation as a cardinal sin leading to a 10 to 20 year uh, prison stint, right? In fact, just a month before the grisly June 4th attack on the girl, Cully was sentenced to 18 months of supervised probation and just 27 days in jail, which he had already served. In other words, had we constructed a criminal justice system focused on locking up violent gun felons, Kali would have been behind bars and Jupiter Paulson would still have most of her life ahead of her. But now that we focus on the gun while letting out the gun felon, Kali was able to end her life at 14 years with a knife. The Kali case plays out in every major city every single day, where gun felons are released to please the idols of de-incarceration agenda people and they proceed to murder using any weapon or even their own bare hands. It's the ultimate proof that criminals, especially gun felons, kill, not guns. Bronx gang member Alberto Ramirez was arrested on his third gun felony earlier this year after he had a history of being involved in shootings. Even on the third charge, he was only initially held on $75,000 bail. Then, on March 2nd, Acting Supreme Court Justice Dennis Boyle lowered the amount to $10,000 cash or $25,000 bond. Fast forward to this past Monday, and Ramirez is accused of randomly shooting into a crowd during a turf war, killing Eric Velasquez, a father of two. Everyone in Minnesota has heard of George Floyd and Dante Wright, but nobody has heard of 28-year-old Todd Lorne Banks Jr., who was found dead in Rochester, allegedly shot by two gun felons, Derek Days and Nautica Cox. Days was released from prison in December 2020 after serving a federal prison sentence for being a felon in possession of a firearm, 
and was placed on a worthless supervised release for the next three years. Cox, who had a history of armed robbery and assault, was convicted of felony possession of a gun last September, but was placed on probation. Another Minnesota homicide victim who will never obtain George Lloyd level of acclaim is 14-year-old Damaris Hobbs. He was gunned down at a graduation party in suburban Maplewood, and police believe his stepfather, Keith Dawson, started the drive-by shooting that led to his death. It turns out that Dawson had 36 prior convictions, including, you guessed it, a drive-by shooting and several felony possessions. And speaking of Dante Wright, the political elites are crying over his accidental killing by the cops at a traffic stop, but let's not forget that he was a gun felon who should have been locked up. Not only was he previously arrested for choking and robbing a woman at gunpoint, but earlier this week, a second family filed a civil lawsuit against uh, his estate for carjacking. Another lawsuit alleges that Wright shot a teenager in 2019, leaving him permanently disabled. Tony Hampton, a career Chicago criminal, was arrested on May 1st for felony possession. He was released without any bail despite his record. Just three days later, he was arrested for robbing a phone store. He posted just a $10,000 bond and was released, only to rob another phone store three weeks later. This is the story of Chicago. Add to that, Chicago's justice system released 534 people charged as felons in possession of a weapon and 569 individuals who have been accused of aggravated unlawful use of a weapon, all on ankle monitors. Six-year-old Colby Daniel went to retrieve his bike, which was parked in front of his neighbor's home in a small county in Michigan. That neighbor, Ryan, Ryan Lee Nugent, allegedly charged at the boy with a sledgehammer, and when he couldn't catch him, shot the boy in the arm, missing his heart by about an inch. That sounds like a pretty bad gun crime, right? Well, a judge released him on just a $10,000 cash bond, where he can go back and threaten the boy who will testify against him. Isaiah G. Zeke Gardenshire has racked up a 20-year criminal history in central Michigan, which includes multiple assaults, home invasion, felony possession of uh, firearms, after being released from prison his last, from his last sentence in October 2020, he was arrested again for criminal sexual conduct with a child under 13. How much do you think his bail should be set at for such a criminal? One million? Two million? Well, he was released on May 27th after posting a $7,500 cash bond. Just one week later, Gardenshire allegedly went on a 40-hour crime spree in Mount Pleasant that includes killing a 13-year-old girl, Andre Dombowski, taking hostages, carjacking, robbing people, and sexually assaulting two women, one of whom was a stranger to him. Nobody can say we didn't see this coming. Andre Dombowski is just another name that will, never, that will never be known to the public whose memory will fall into the ash heap of criminal justice reform. I can go on and on because these stories are essentially what is driving up all sorts of violence, including gun violence, in every major city every day. Philadelphia police are averaging over nine gun arrests per day, for example. Almost all of them result in parole, not meaningful jail time, especially if the perpetrator is a juvenile. You might be wondering by now, isn't possession of a firearm considered a felony under federal law? Why then is the Department of Justice not aggressively prosecuting gun felons in cities like Chicago, instead leaving them, leaving them to local prosecutors and judges to release on parole? The answer to that is the feds have no interest in pursuing people who actually harm others with guns because they don't want to add to the prison population. The federal prison population is down 30% over the past eight years, even as the general population grows. And the Biden administration wants to keep it that way. Unless you think I'm the only one in possession of this knowledge on how to curb violence, which I'm clearly not.
So to the next person that says the prison population is overcrowded, you tell them, until the murderers are gone, the rapist is non-existent, armed robbery and drive-bys are a thing of the past, until then, just say, it's not populated enough. This next segment, we're talking about depression. So if you have depression or know someone, let's see what we can do to alleviate that. First, let's define depression. It is a feeling that you're unhappy with your life. And that's it. I think people make it out to be more complicated than it is. So the first thing I want to address is the more extreme results from depression. Suicide. Let's try and pull people back from that extreme end. Now, I want you, dear listener, to close your eyes, even if you're driving, and think of someone or something that you love. A person, place, or thing, doesn't matter. Think of something that you truly love. What is the first thing that pops into your head? Okay, next part. Why? Why do you love this particular person, place, or thing? And last part. Would you describe yourself the same way? And let's hold that thought. I have killed hundreds of spiders in my life. I absolutely hate them. They freak me out. And I know that bothers some of you, but it's true. However, I have never killed a kitten because I love kittens. You don't kill what you love. So what you want to do is make yourself into something that you love. Make yourself into someone that you love. But that doesn't mean you should turn yourself into a pussy. And what do I mean by that? You know when you fail a test or you, you, know, you didn't get that job you were looking for or you, you're simply in a kind of a state of feeling lost? You know what would be a nice thing to do? Watch your favorite movie. Maybe, maybe order three times the amount of your favorite food that you can eat. Maybe sleep in a little more. That's nice things you can do for yourself. But here's the thing. Nice people don't get things done. Nice people don't push themselves or others. Nice will get you nowhere. So don't be nice. Don't be nice to yourself. Don't be nice to family. Don't be nice to friends. Be good. Good people do good for themselves. Good people offer harsh but important advice to others. Good people get the job done. Good people don't search for the meaning of life, but only want to give their lives meaning. So give your life meaning. But I don't know how to give my life meaning. Well, shut up and I'll tell you. Having a meaningful life breaks down to three things. One, coherence. Having a life that makes sense. Two, purpose. Having and in, having in working towards a goal. And three, mattering. A sense that your life has value. But I don't know how to give my life value. Well, listen up, you some bitch. People find they matter through God, contributing to others, and or building or leaving some kind of legacy. So everything is laid out in front of you, so where do you begin? To start any project, you need two things. Motivation, which I hope I'm giving you. And secondly, you got to be in the right mood. Depression is a state of being unhappy with your life. It's not who you are. It's just a big, heavy coat. You can take it off anytime you're in the mood. And you can start by being good to yourself. That's all I got for you today. This was Solving Problems and Starting New ones. See ya.